Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast for those with new ideas and maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes the idea failed, sometimes it made their business more successful, and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I'm super excited. We've got Sean Fitzgerald here on the show. Sean is the CMO at ThomasNet, a data platform and technology company that serves the need of B2B buyers, mainly in the manufacturing space. Welcome to the show, Sean. I'm super excited. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, was really excited to see what you guys are all building at Upkeep and, and how you're supporting the MRO industry. And it was great to meet you. So happy to participate. Thanks for having me on. Well, hey, the way that I love to start these off is just by you sharing a little bit more about your background, your story, and ultimately how you were introduced to, to the space. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. At Thomas, we're a company that's been in business for 122 years. Um, the goal has always been to help engineers, procurement, and MROs find the suppliers that they need. We have a platform of about 500,000 US and Canadian manufacturers. Uh, we have about a 1.9 million users come through the platform every single month to source products and services and find those folks that they need to either add to their supply chain for the long haul, or it's just a, a one-time purchase that they need to have an interface with someone on. MROs are one of the big markets that we serve to help uh, everything stay up and running most efficiently and keep everything safe. Today, I'd love to dig deep into this topic around how to manage just like the, the cultural changes that are happening in our industry. You know, we're starting to slowly see more younger people join this industry. Then there's obviously people who've been in this space for a very, very long time who have a ton, a ton of knowledge. I would love to learn about, you know, what you've seen in the industry, what you've seen from the best companies that manage basically two different types of generations within the workspace. Yeah, so I think that the big thing first is just to embrace reality around it, right? It's the first time in history that the boomer generation has had another generation of equal size in the workforce. Um, and that's creating a whole lot of really interesting challenges, shall we say, across the board. So you have one group of folks that are towards the end of their career and have, have gone through you know, some level of automation and what they're seeing as far as as things coming into their facilities. And you have another generation that essentially grew up with an iPhone in their pocket and their general mindset is, is like, ooh, cool, there's a new piece of technology. I can learn that today. Like, so the barrier for entry for them mentally is almost nil. And I think that the second thing around it is just purely expectations. You know, someone that's later in their career might be more willing to fight through figuring out certain things to try and work with a certain vendor or a certain piece of technology or a certain piece of equipment where, you know, your millennial and Gen Z folks, as they come in, everything is, they've grown up in a world of instant gratification, where if they go to try and find something and that's either broken or it's not the web page maybe isn't resolving fast enough or the machine isn't doing exactly what they want it to do. There are tons of other options and they are a-okay with making a really fast pivot to try something else really quick too. From what I've seen on it is if you go forward and really empower your millennial and Gen Z folks that are coming in um, to have an impact, you see much higher returns on that group of employees and the folks on the team um, than if you try and you know push them into a single role and say, hey, no, you need to you know, put your years in before you're allowed to speak and, and bring up new things, so. Absolutely. So we talk a lot about technology, technology adoption as well. Um, are there some like 
tools, technologies that you're more excited about for, for the future of our industry, the, for the future of our space? What gets you super stoked? Yeah, so what, I mean, at Thomas, we have, I don't know, it's like three and a half petabytes of user buyer behavior data now when it comes through. So I'm one of the lucky nerds that gets my hands on that and I get to see like what the trends are all the time. So that's one of the places that I love to, to go check out and see what's happening. And as you might imagine, we're seeing massive, massive sourcing surges around anything having to do with automation, robotics, IoT, anything around that side of it. Platforms like yours and others that are coming into the space right now that are taking things, you know, not necessarily away, but they're not desktop based anymore. People can be moving around. They can see what's going on in real time inside of the machines. There's, you know, more progressive into lights out. Um, and you're requiring less and less staff as it goes forward. Had a great opportunity to meet some of the folks that do IoT for Toyota and some other folks, I think that was last year. It, it's really around IoT and how uh, things are really flowing into the factory and the automation side of things. The challenge really is about staffing right now um, across the board and we have this skills gap in manufacturing. There are a lot of different folks, I think, that have tried to make engineering cool again. I'll give the guys at Mythbusters a huge high five around that. Um, and I love the that show. <laughs> that puts together that show how it's made. There's a lot of things that, that folks have tried to do to take step forwards to show how cool engineering is and how cool maintenance and operations really is. This whole thing with COVID is very interesting because it's forcing us to all work with more technology and potentially work remote and not work on the factory floor. Where do you think the future of, of our industry is headed? Do you see more people working on the factory floor? Where do you think this industry goes from the people that are currently in it? Uh, we did a, a survey that we did in March, April, and May at Thomas, and just a single data point for me has been really fascinating. In March, we asked, hey, so with everything going on, how likely are you to be reshoring some of your, uh, either your supply chain or your facilities that are currently in other countries? And in March, the response was mm, about 10% were likely or very likely. Um, we did it again in April, and it was 64% said they were likely to move back. So the opportunity is massive and it's coming right at us as far as you know, a country and a, an opportunity for younger people. You mentioned 64% of companies are thinking about taking some of their offshore resources and moving it back you know, locally. Yeah, here to the US. So if you see, I think it was in Bloomberg a couple of days ago here, um, there was a post about something that the Senate put through about delisting Chinese uh, companies. So like things like Alibaba and Baidu. Yeah. Are, you're, you're seeing the beginning of those ripples in that effect of like what decisions, you know, from a government perspective are going to be made around this. Japan, when they came out and had their stimulus projects for manufacturing companies, one of the stipulations of taking money in Japan was that you had to move out of China. They didn't say you had to come home to Japan, but they said you had to leave China. So I thought that was really interesting too. So I've been trying to watch to see, does that start to seep into our administration and what, what decisions get made there? My expectations on it is you're gonna see a lot of it end up back here in the US, but if I had chips to bet, you'd see a lot of it land in Mexico as well too. If people start to look at their supply chains, bringing them back to the US, there are gonna be some things that just economically aren't feasible with, with how they, they generate the product right now and, and the price points that it's at. Where Mexico, some of those parts might make, a, make uh, sense now 
where you know China is becoming more friction filled to do business there. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, so essentially, and I totally agree with this, Sean, is, is that we're going to start to see a resurgence of manufacturing back here in the U.S. or, or more or closer to, to home, at least, Canada, Mexico. I, I think that technology is really going to be a, a very vital component to bringing it back to the U.S., what do you think that it means for the future of our industry? You know, let's call it manufacturing here in the U.S. And obviously, yeah, the, the people who are currently working in, in these spaces. It's going to mean technology needs to step in to fill the gap more and more and more. So whether that's around automation or platforms or systems that allow a fewer number of resources to, to handle a larger amount of work and have a larger impact, I think that's what you're going to see. And circling back to our earlier discussion around, you know, the difference between millennial and boomer generation, you have a generation that's moving into this that is super comfortable with that as a game plan, right? Um, and the impact that they have in, on decision making is is getting more and more every day. You know, when folks ask me like, oh, are millennials lazy? And they're buying into the BS that media pushes out on it. I, I tell them, look, you know, I have the head of marketing services at Thomas is a millennial. She's 28 years old, complete rock star. Our head of UX UI is 28 years old for the entire platform that millions of people use every single month. A millennial. People that plan all of our events, everything that we do, millennials. So that you can keep going down the list just inside of our, our company. Um, you know, if you look outside at a company like, big company like Johnson Controls, there's a 27-year-old there that I got a chance to meet at an event um, who's responsible for 500 million in raw material purchases every year. So if there's, a, if there's a question that this generation can have a massive impact on what's going on, those would, that, he would be my exhibit A. You know, if you have these folks that are coming in and they're already making these really big decisions, as things start to come back, their voice is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And their knowledge and acceptance of technology is going to just be ingrained in their thinking with the way that they're going to problem solve. So that would be my bet is you're going to see more and more and more get deployed that way. And there's going to be a massive comfort level for it too, because everyone's grown up with it. You know, we've talked a lot about like, trying to make the industry cooler. We talked a lot about getting the younger generation back into this industry. You know, is there something that you wish the, the, the younger generation knew about maintenance, manufacturing operations that you feel like isn't quite known? It's a simple statement, but just really how cool it is at the end of the day with all of the things that exist. I mean, we're really doing folks as they grow up a disservice if they've never been in a manufacturing facility or any type of a production environment. <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to be able to take my kids to a couple of friends' plants, and you know, one of them does a lot of products for uh, automotive. And it, when you think automotive, you think huge quarter panels of cars and stuff. They make all the little pins for seatbelts. Right, so like it, in almost everybody. So if you've stopped short in your car and felt like this, it's probably from a little company in Connecticut. But so cool, they, they were watching all of the uh, QC equipment, all like the visuals. So in the, the speed that everything is moving at as far as these come through, how they're passing and failing stuff through QC, um, you know, in tenths of a second, blew their minds. They couldn't believe that this was the way everything went on. As much as I try to share at the dinner table what dad does all day, and, I, you know, there's no real magic bullet. Folks are doing a lot of good work, I think, at the high school level. Um, but I think the more that we can open up our facilities to have people come through and to actually see what goes on every day, I think that's the biggest part of it. We're trying to do our part 
Thomas too. You know, we're starting up a, a game plan around helping people do factory tours of their facilities, which again, that's my favorite part of going to visit anyone uh, when they let me out of my cage at the office and I get to go see everybody. And hopefully we'll all be back to that again really soon. Um, getting the, the tour of the facility is always the most fun. So, you know, we're, we're beginning to embed more and more video aspects that way. Um, into our platform to allow folks, especially in this environment too, to be able to see, you know, what is the real size of the, what is the front of the facility? What equipment do they have? How is it being, you know, how is it structured? How is it organized? That type of, of thing going forward. So I think it's about turning the industry inside out where, which is not always the way folks think, right? It's, it's funny in that if you're a fantastic supplier or a service provider, your, your best customers will not tell a soul that you are awesome because you are the best secret for them, right? So it's kind of this weird, this weird world that we live in where B2C, everybody screams from the mountaintops how great something is. In manufacturing, you get to keep that as a secret, right? Yeah, that's super, that's super fascinating. And absolutely, I think manufacturing facilities are one of the coolest, coolest places to go. I mean, you know, we we're talking about getting your hands dirty, you know, I would say that in, if you go into a manufacturing plant, they have some of the coolest technology, some of the most innovative technology Agreed. that any industry has. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big so, supporter there. <laughs> I'm with you. A huge, uh, you know, expansion too of, of, you know, manufacturing on demand that you're seeing through all kinds of additive, right? Whether that's plastic or metal now too, that's going to expand too. Where do you go to continue learning to keep up everything that's going on within the space? What resources do you listen to? Do you read? Sure. So, I mean, there are a lot of different marketing places that I go, but, you know, specifically for this, this audience in here that we're talking about, one of the things that I've been watching a ton is, you know, uh, like Bloomberg and, and PitchBook. And again, I mentioned that company Industrial Exchange. I think one of the interesting things that I've been watching in manufacturing is, uh, you know, the, the entrance of private equity. Um, P is, has more dry powder, I think, right now than ever in history. And we, we've also hit a bizarro dry patch of, of uh, deal flow for that, you know, so that, that money is still kind of sitting there and that capital's waiting to be deployed. I'm trying to watch to see where they're deploying it for trends and match that up with the data that we see in Thomas. So I've been seeing some really interesting uh, things going on. Early last year, we saw a massive surge into white label and private label bottling. Um, and not only do we see that on our platform, we saw a lot of capital flowing that way too from those folks as well. So it's been an interesting corollary to try and look at both of those at the same time to see where is the money flowing, what's happening. You know, you hear rumors of, um, you know, Tesla perhaps moving from their facility um, uh, and I think it's in Fremont to, you know, Texas or someplace else. And now, you know, you can kind of look through the data and see, geez, is anyone sourcing someplace else right now? And what is that starting to look like? So I love nerding out on our data. That's a big place where I try to learn in, on the trends. And I try and follow the money to see where, where folks are, are trying to deploy. Um, oh, it's okay. It's just my CEO. He can wait. You hung up on your it's CEO. Okay. It was a Slack call. It's a, it's a Slack call. Sorry, Tony, if you're listening. Didn't mean it, buddy. <laughs> all right well sean thank you so much for hanging up on your ceo to spend time and speak with us um what are all the different ways that our listeners can connect with you and follow you sure you journey? bet um you can 
You can find me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Uh, my handle is sfitzgerald9. So old school Twitter handle there too. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's Masterminds and Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. You can also connect with me here on LinkedIn or shoot me an email directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. Until next time. Thanks again, Sean. All right. Hey, thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on.